Welcome to Terminal Talk, a podcast on mainframe and mainframe-related topics. I'm Frank. And I'm just here for the snacks. <laughs> and this is really cool because for the first time since before the demic, Jeff and I are both in the studio. That's true. And think about all the fun things you can do with the time you save by not saying pandemic. <laughs> I'm going to go play with Legos. (laughs) And we are really lucky today because we have a great guest, um, Darren Search, who's the COO at Interskill um, and a damn good teacher. Can I I say damn? I don't know. I might bleep it out. (laughs) (laughs) So how's it going, Darren? G'day, gents. How are you? Good to, good to uh, finally be on. I've been listening to this thing for forever. So uh, um, thank was you. That, was that invite. a dig? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> What's to teach in the mainframe? I thought, you know, it's all pretty easy stuff. So It is. You'd, you'd think they could just come out of college and just get to work on those things, couldn't you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the industry's, uh, I mean, I've been 30 years doing this, Um with uh, with Interskill, obviously we do e-learning for the industry, um, and I think since since I started, they were talking about mainframers retiring and and the need for skilling up the next generation. But it's uh, you know IBM's efforts in the uh, academic initiative and and all of the other IBM education has really really stretched this out. So there, there always seems to have been, though sometimes rare. There always seems to have been plenty of mainframers out there to run the run the systems. So uh, lots to teach them um, as the the mainframe constantly changes, um, but also lots to teach the the youngsters, the next generation of mainframers as well. So you you mentioned change, and you, you said you've been doing this for thirty years. So obviously you started when you were twelve. Um, how have you how have you seen mainframe education change in in that time? Well, we. <laughs> The, the precursor of Interskill. So when I started, um, I was at a, um, a mainframe training college. And I think that's the way most mainframers were trained. They were hired on and, uh, and they, they mounted tapes and, and they learned to be, learned <laughs> to be operators and system programmers <laughs> and, and so forth. And, and classroom was it. I mean, if anyone needed courses on the mainframe, they went to IBM and, and they did a class and that was it. Well, the again, the precursor of Interskill, Datatask, um, there was this brand new thing called computer-based training, CBT. And it was, we developed a, a console simulator. This is 1990, a console simulator. And I think we had about six or eight courses, um, um, MVS and JCL and ISPF and and JES2 and so forth. Uh, and I I would go and visit the mainframe managers in Australia, obviously, if you've heard my accent. Um, I thought it was Boston. (laughs) A car park. (laughs) Um, Go and visit these mainframe managers in Australia and and they'd look at me like I just pulled some three-eyed fish out of the pond at Chernobyl when I'm showing them this computer-based training stuff because mainframers learnt by classroom training and CBT was (laughs) was just absolutely amazing for them. as as the world has turned over the last thirty years, you know, CBT e learning and and the internet um, e learning is just a standard part of any training program. So so that sort of training, the scalability of the e learning and the instant availability and stuff, blended with 
classroom, of course, um, it's a phenomenal way to train and conferences and and uh, communities and something that's incredibly dear to Fr- Frank's heart, I know, um, is mentoring, which hopefully we'll talk about a little bit later on, because I think mentoring in the mainframe space, that passing on of uh, of culture and backstory and and system specific information at their at their company and and everything else that goes along with it mentoring is just critical to pass on that information from the older mainframers to the newer generation and i know frank you mentor about 20 or 30 people so (laughs) so you can speak to mentoring um but but all of those things so so what used to be just sorry jeff i get to the point um what used to be just (laughs) classroom training is now sort of a multifaceted mosaic of of all sorts of different types of training um jeff you know i mean jeff jeff has done some of the finest e-learning in the industry um, through coursera and so forth those those are still benchmark courses for the industry um so so we all sort of talk education here but it's it's a whole big mix of um a menu i suppose if you like the same as people like to eat different foods all blended together training's the same You've, you've got all sorts of different uh, modalities that blend together and make an effective training program. Has there been a lot of, of change? You know, every time I talk to executives, mainframe executives, <clears throat> the thing they seem most concerned about is the fact that uh, a lot of their sysprogs are about to di- um, retire. <laughs> and... Um, and and so the, there's a real dearth of skill coming up, right? Um, do you see that? Is there are, are businesses trying to to skill up um, sysprogs, or um, ha, has that not been something that you've seen? No, definitely definitely a, a critical need um, across the board for uh, for organisations. And again, that's where that you know. Sysprogs can do as much training as as they want to, and and they're still not going to be the ideal sysprog unless right. they're learning from senior mainframers that have been there and done it from you know from the ground up, and that's where that mentoring and and on the job training really comes in. Um, I, I suppose that <clears throat> your senior mainframers can't afford to be trainers, though. Do you know what I mean? Senior mainframers mm-hmm. are incredibly busy people, especially the sysprogs. Um, that keep these systems running. So when I say coaching and mentoring, I don't mean that they need to be training the the next generation of system programmers because they don't have the time. Right. Uh, and again, that's where e-learning and, and other sort of in-house training comes into the mix because that does the heavy lifting, that does the training of these next generation of sysprogs, and then the, the senior person can pass on that wisdom and knowledge and backstory and, and community and all of the other things. And, you know, the mainframe world is a community. I think anyone who's listening to this will, will know that. So there's always someone willing to chip in and help. Um, system programming is, is obviously key to these mainframes. And so, yes, uh, training these people up. Um, I don't know how many sysprogs companies hire as sysprogs. I think there's usually a, a transition. They'll come in and they'll work in systems and uh, and as they grow and get more experience they'll start to move up into a system programmer role so so uh, um, IBM's done a brilliant job with the universities so uh, that they have a nice steady stream of people coming out um, there are quite a few universities that do mainframe content there's uh, the apprenticeship program with Franklin apprenticeships um, 
Meredith Stoll and all of her team have done remarkable stuff with, uh, you know, IBM Z Explore and, as I said, the, the apprenticeship program and skills build and all sorts of other stuff. Um, plus the the industry vendors in the in the mainframe community obviously play a big part in that as well. I hope that answers your question. I got out into the weeds a bit there. <laughs> no, it's good. Um, you mentioned like training for sysprogs or system programmers quite a bit. Do you, when it comes to ZOS, do you subscribe to the belief that um, you can start in a core area, like train everyone to be a sysprog, and then kind of specialize out? after that or can you train someone to be a specific job role in z because i've seen it done both ways i'm not sure which one's my favorite route yet i i if i had a digital credential for one of the best questions i'd, I'd uh, <laughs> award you that one <laughs> Actually, i can make my own badges now so <laughs> no that's a, that's a phenomenal question and 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 if i may i mean it, it opens up a whole lot of things um <clears throat> just just across across everything, but across IT especially, um, there's a there's a visual that someone told me once, which I thought was brilliant, um, which is the uppercase letter T. So you've got the horizontal and, and the vertical of the uppercase letter T. And that's how people should be skilled. They should have a very wide understanding of, of IT, or in this case, the mainframe and IT um, at, a, at a, a foundational level. And then they should, with the vertical on the uppercase letter T, I hope this is making sense on a podcast, um, <clears throat> and that they need to have really deep knowledge in their, in their chosen field. So you've got, you've got to have broad knowledge. You've got to be multi-skilled and cross-trained. Uh, upskilling is a word that you hear in education a lot these days, corporate education. So, so to, to answer your question, I think um, <clears throat> something that I'm seeing is not not just people and not just organizations hiring people out of university and training them up for a particular job role. There's a lot of, uh, I think it's um, six times studies show six times more expensive to hire somebody externally and bring them in um, to a job role than it is to train somebody up internally. So a lot of companies are, you know, for their COBOL and Kix programmers, they're getting .NET programmers and C programmers and, and Java programmers from their non-mainframe groups and giving them mainframe skills, you know, setting up internal boot camps using, again, e-learning that's readily available and projects and so forth, and giving a lot of non-mainframe, a lot of distributed system programmers, um, these mainframe skills so that when they're needed, they can be brought across for projects or when an opportunity comes up, a, a, a the mainframe group needs to hire some people, then you've got people already with the company, they're already part of the culture, they're already onboarded, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they've got the mainframe skills, which you can see through the digital credentials that they've earned and or the reports you can run from the corporate learning management system to show who's passed what courses and what scores they've got and so forth. So you've got a ready list of people that are part of the system, they, they know how to program, um, you're just bringing them across onto the mainframe and, and they, they pick up right where they left off. So I think there's a lot more of that internal and, and cross-training and, and uh, you know, sort of horizontal uh, career change stuff going on, as well as hiring from external, um, which is uh, they're a little harder to find. Um, so I, I think people, again, long answer to a short question, <laughs> I, I think people can be, should be trained to be broadly skilled and multi-skilled um, 
and again, because of the mainframe, the mainframe is not this monolithic thing in a data center anymore, um, you know, with Z Enterprise. Uh, the mainframe now touches everything and everything touches the mainframe. So it's, it's, you really need to be broadly skilled and cross-skilled um, across other different systems and multiple programming languages or, or et cetera, et cetera. You, you get what I'm saying. Um, so that, that's sort of the more agile, versatile, um, modern uh, IT expert professional um is somebody that's uh, that's really multi-skilled i've left you Are speechless you- <laughs> <laughs> never heard that before on the podcast frank and i are arguing over who gets to go next <laughs> doing rock paper scissors over here frank, frank got paper so go ahead i so, was wondering so who was going to i, be I always go with rock always rock <laughs> so, so so there's a couple of questions that came to my mind one um is all of it e-learning now? Do you, do you do no. no stand up or no? No, I mean, I think the e-learning is the 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 pack mule. E-learning is the workhorse. Um, e-learning is something that that all corporates have a a big learning management system, a corporate third party LMS, um, and they'll deliver you know soft skills training and and project management training and and Windows Office, Microsoft Office, and and you you, know, you name it. Um, all sorts of uh, compliance things and so forth. So there's an enormous array of, of e-learning available. And obviously there's a bunch of mainframe stuff available should be there as well. And the reason I say this is because it's um, it's instantly available and it's, it's on demand. Um, training has moved from, again, when I started in the industry, um, <clears throat> a manager would say, to their personnel, hey, what training do you want to do this year? And send them off to a class, you know, a few days or a week. And as long as they'd gone off to a class um, and, and mainframers would love that because they'd be off for a week in a hotel and they'd get to eat on the company dime and, you know, their per diem and yes. all that sort of stuff. So it was a little mini vacation as well and mixing with other mainframers from different companies and so forth. So, so you do one course a year and you've sort of checked that box and you've done the training you need. But things are moving fast these days and and you need to be multi-skilled and you need to keep up with the latest thing. So that having that e-learning available, that's infinitely scalable, you know, so, so whether one person needs the training or 10 people or a hundred people or every single person in the mainframe organization, the e-learning is there and it's available so you can scale it up. That's where classroom struggles because you're doing it 20 or 30 people at a time. Um, so, so the e-learning is that workhorse. Uh, also, the most successful companies are the ones that um, have that culture of learning and, and look it up, learning culture, culture of learning. This is where it goes beyond a manager telling their personnel that you have to go into a class on something or I need you to do some training or something. A culture of learning is when people are actively going out and sourcing training. Uh, IBM's done this incredibly well with the Think40 uh, initiative that they've had for years where each, each, each IBM needs to do 40 hours of professional development every year. And I know that a lot of people listening and we're groaning because it's, it's hard to hit that 40, <laughs> I'm sure, sometimes. But um, that culture of learning where people actively go and seek training uh, means that they're either improving their skill sets for their current job, great for the organization, or they're looking at other careers, again, like we were talking about before, saying, hey, I might like to be a system programmer. Um, you know, I'm going to go and do some system programmer training. So the next time a sysprog job comes up next year, 
I'm going to be skilled for it and I'll apply and get the job. So you start getting people moving towards jobs that they love and picking up the skills to be able to do that. So so the e-learning provides that constant and digital credentialing. I hope we get to talk about that. I mean, that's just been a revelation to the mainframe industry, IBM's badge program. Um, but the e-learning does that, but it should be, again, long answer to a short question, um, it should be blended, you know, People, same as that menu metaphor before, don't want to eat the same food all the time. You can't just eat meat and potatoes. You want spice. You want something interesting. So there needs to be classroom courses. People should go to, everyone should go to the SHARE conference. There you go. Put a plug in for SHARE. Um, you know, you need to go to conferences. You need to join IBM communities uh, and mix with other people that are uh, in your space, make friends across multiple companies in the mainframe space again. Um, there's all sorts of mentoring. Again, Frank, you know, everybody should have a mentor and, and every senior mainframer should have multiple mentees um, to, to spread the wealth. Uh, so so e-learning is a part of the picture. Um, it's incredibly low cost and, and very versatile. It's like Lego blocks. You can plug that content in and do all sorts of things with it. But it needs to be like a good, delicious meal. It needs to be blended with all sorts of other training as well to, to keep people happy. You mentioned e-learning, and and obviously that's something kind of near and dear to my heart. But yes, sir. I, I something that I'm, I always kind of harp on. I want to get your take on this. Is a, a lot of times people take the easy way out when it comes to e-learning. They say, okay, well, this is a course we already give, so we'll put a video camera in the back of the room, we'll record the person teaching it, <laughs> and we'll put that online. And now we're e-learning. And what I've seen happen is we put those courses out on something like Coursera or YouTube or, you know, Vimeo or any other place where the, the video is literally surrounded by all the other things you could be watching instead of this thing, <laughs> begging you to click on them. And, and, and people wonder why, you know, people only make it like five minutes through this video uh, before clicking on something else. Why aren't, why aren't they lasting? It's, because we're treating this this uh, e-learning thing like we have a captive audience when we don't. And I, I see a lot more people taking courses. This is just based on the feedback that I get off of the ZOS course that we have out there. People that literally stumbled into the course and they're there because they're, they're being held in there because of their want to learn something, not because yep. they need to for a job or something like that. <laughs> and it's, it's, it kind of blows my mind that someone, first off, that they can have access to that type of training, sometimes for free, which is great, and that they're there because, hey, I found this interesting. It's, it seems like an interesting operating system. Are you having to kind of readjust your offerings for that type of learner? It's such good. It's easy to see why you two have this job. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's brilliant. Um Jeff and and again, as I mentioned before, that the courses that you did with Coursera or with IBM, and you can find them on Coursera, are, are real benchmarks. I mean, they're phenomenal. Um, there's, I, I blame Netflix, <laughs> but uh, um, about you know some companies throw videos up and. They, you know, the the training manager or, or managers can look at it and say, "Oh, look how many people completed this course," because that's all it'll say when you watch a video is completed. Yep. You don't know whether they're sitting there playing on their phone or or doing anything else, or whether they've taken any of it in. Um, all it'll show is that they've completed it. Um, 
but it shows that you know lots of people have done the training so i suppose that looks like a win um the the interskill courseware is coded in html5 it's got simulations it's got exercises it's got quizzes it keeps people on point and taking it in and answering some questions and if they don't understand or if they don't pass those questions it'll take them back to the start of that section and push them through again um ouch that makes much better training (laughs) As you know, I know it's it's pretty pretty rigorous, but it makes much better training to keep people involved and, and keep pinging them and, and make sure they're paying attention and make sure they're understanding. The other big benefit of that is that all of that information goes back to the learning management system. So a manager can look at it and say, hey, look, they just did a JCL course. This is brilliant. They, they got 90%, which looks really good, but there's this one section where they got 0% and then they got all the rest right. So there's this one section here that they really didn't understand, obviously. So I'm going to connect them with Frank um, as their mentor and Frank can run them through that and make sure that they understand that. And that plugs that skill gap. And then you've got that that uh, mainframe professional that really knows their stuff. There's not one weakness that they really didn't understand that somehow something's going to explode in five years' time because they they coded something wrong or set something up wrong. So so it's sort of a, a double faceted thing. It's better training when there's extensive interaction rather than just video. And video has its place, absolutely. Um, and it's, it's more palatable and people will probably consume more training. A lot of people love the video. But there needs to be, again, that mix of stuff that's interactive and rigorous and tested so that not only are they going to learn better, but management can have that, that uh, resource of information, objective information that shows what people know and what they don't know. And and it's not punitive. It's not like, oh, you don't know this. It's just, okay, they know this stuff brilliantly, except for this one section. How can I plug that skill gap? Should I get them to go and do another course? Should I get them to talk to a senior mainframer? Should I pull them aside and talk to them myself? Should I give them an exercise so that I'll figure it out? But that's what you want. You want your mainframers with no skill gaps so that, you know, everything's going to run smoothly and and, uh, and be set up for the future. Well, we get we get from our, our own LMS and, and others, we get a ton of information that sometimes I think the learners don't know that we get on them. <laughs> and sometimes we'll get we'll get somebody saying like, uh, you know, this this quiz is dumb. I can't pass this quiz and I need to pass this before tomorrow. And, you know, you've locked me out of my attempts. And we can go through and see, is this on us or is this on them? And we can see when they, there was an eight minute video that they watched in eight seconds <laughs> and that they did yeah. all three attempts of their quizzes exactly. in a span of about five minutes. Like, no, this, this, this is not on us. Right. Right. <laughs> I'll you can, absolutely, you can see what time of the day or night <laughs> they're training. You can see whether they've left it to the last minute and they're jamming yeah. the courses in. You can, you can see all sorts of things, whether they're being distracted even, you know what I mean? You can see if somebody's, continually being called away and, and the thing's timing out or it's pausing at one spot. And and you know that, okay, this is obviously not a, a good environment for my people to train. We, we need to talk to them about setting some time aside specifically for training so they can go through uninterrupted and take more in. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of subtleties to it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, Joe. Lots of possibilities. So, so how do you, if you, let's say you're doing a five or 10 minute lecture how do you keep them connected for that entire time? Um, or is and, and you you mentioned that you know you you lecture and and you test and you and you interact. What what's the 
what are the ratios? How do you, how do you know what's right? You're talking about e-learning, obviously. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, it's, it's really shortened. I, I know when we first started, we, we used to be, um, comparing ourselves to classroom, you know, eight hours, <laughs> eight hours of classroom. It's a, sure. a long day. Um, and so all of our e-learning courses used to be broken up into one hour modules and each module was broken up into three or four sections with testing and quizzes and stuff. And and we thought we were the enlightened educators of the world uh, <laughs> breaking this down into that. Things have got shorter and shorter and shorter. I mean, you know, I get up in the morning and, and get on my my iPhone and and look at LinkedIn and start seeing articles and and things that people have posted and reading through that you know it says a two minute read and a one minute read and a three minute read and you're starting to flick through and that's all training, I mean that's the way that people are drip fed training now, um, I mean I've read articles about um, things that I think it's called geo geo something um, companies can drip feed. Um, training to people on their smartphones or their devices based on their geographic location. So if they've got different offices or different plants, different factories, um, depending on where they're located, will will uh, depend on the the actual message or email or text that they get with a bit of training for that location and things that they need to know and so forth. So it's become incredibly sophisticated, um, and and video stuff, you know two minute, five minute, 10 minute videos are sort of the, a bit of a, um, a guideline now um, rather than, than watching long videos. So lots of small little pieces that you can just take bite size, bite size, bite size. Um, I, I think it depends, to answer your question, I think it depends on the content. Um, if you're teaching foundational stuff, um, you can probably go for longer and, you know, have more diagrams and text and or, or people speaking and so forth. Um, if you're doing exercises, it'll probably be a different, uh, a different duration. So it depends on the content and, uh, and it depends on the, the delivery methodology as well, I think, as to, to how long you try and break those up into. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I want to make sure we talk about mentoring a little bit. Um, we get to the top or the bottom or wherever we are at the hour. <laughs> the hour. <laughs> um, but but how one one of the things that I've kind of noticed when when doing training is that it's really hard to untangle someone's uh, personal path through Z when getting education from them. So what I mean by that is if I'm talking to someone who came up in storage anything they tell me about ZOS is going to resolve in how bits end up on a disk. <laughs> it looks through that lens. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so do you think that's, is that something that, you know, and I think it's, it's, I think it's kind of good to have a bit of personality in, in keeping it not entirely uh, objective. It's nice to hear, you know, I, I learned this, I did this without it just being a, a personal tale. Um, how do you balance training with mentoring or how do how do you picture that, being ideal for someone who's new to Z? Yeah, I think the mentoring is, you know, we, we, we are human beings and, and most mainframers wow. are anyway. Um, we are human beings and we, and we have that, uh, that need to belong and, and you know, we, we're programmed to like stories and, uh, and context and all of that sort of stuff. So, so mentoring covers that area that training never can. Do you know what I mean? Anything off the shelf, any e-learning and videos and so forth is, is 
you know, by design has to be generic. It'll teach that technical skill. It'll teach about that piece of software generically. But in, in any mainframe or in any company that runs a mainframe, things will be slightly different. They'll be tweaked. They'll be modified. They'll run slightly differently. There'll be different process and procedure and standards and so forth. Um, and that's where the, the mentor can, can help to um, train these people on how the mainframe works, how ZOS runs, how, how JCL is coded at their organization. Um, and it also, like you said, puts that human side to it as well. So people are, are going to learn more when there's a backstory and, and like you two gentlemen do, you know, where, where there's something that'll make you laugh or something that'll make you remember, you know, based on a, on a story or some context or something that happened with the person that was there before them, et cetera, et cetera. So the mentoring puts that human face on and, and sort of um, makes people, again, feel like people have to have a reason to want to train. And, and I've always found in the mainframe space anyway, it's an absolute community. Um, I've always found I want to learn more stuff because I feel like I'm part of something bigger, you know, part of that mainframe community, part of the, all, all of these mainframers. That's why I love going to share as well. Again, you hear all of these different people's stories and why they do things a certain way and, and how they've solved problems and so forth. And I think the mentoring can can bring that that connection to it and give you a, a motivation to learn more and and uh, wh why you're learning it, I suppose, is also really important. You know, wh why would I bother to learn this thing? Why is it so important to me? Well, this is why, because it does this and this, and this is how it's paid off in the past, and this is how it helped us, you know, in this instance, and et cetera, et cetera. So, um, again, I'm from English and Australian stock, um, but, <laughs> but you know, Euro Europeans, Irish, Italians, you know, there's there's various cultures that are, that are just wonderfully gifted storytellers and and uh, and people love to hear a good story so i think it's it's a great way to just really cement the the knowledge and the and the uh, the the reason for people to learn and the the way of making them remember uh, coming from a background of test uh, both frank and i we have lots of stories of things breaking <laughs> and blowing up <laughs> um, those always make yeah. those always make for better stories I mean, we just say, hey sit around let me let me tell you about the time that i i, I was an absolute rock star people are like yeah whatever and like let me tell you about the time i broke this system yep. and literal fire came out of it Ooh, yeah well, people, <laughs> people remember that stuff people oh yeah that stuff. I, I, I i tell I tell some of my mentees who are getting into like public speaking presenting like don't tell a story about the time it went perfect. No, they're never as much fun. No, no. You want to get someone's attention, yeah. say, I screwed up so bad last week. <laughs> <laughs> you, do you see, um, you know, we've been talking about mentoring as, you know, um, this old dude told this young dude. The gray beards. Yeah. Uh, about how to do things. And, and, for the, for the next few years, that's probably true, right? But, but we're getting to the point where you know, a lot of us are reaching that age where maybe they should find something else to do. <laughs> um, do you see um, that you need to take a larger role in that mentoring going forward um, as the community that runs this stuff, youthens? Do you mean, do you mean the, uh, the the training that we produce becoming a, um, a larger part of the the mentoring yeah. or me personally? And, yeah. I'm, well, yeah, of course, you personally. But but I was thinking, you know, as a as a company, do you see does Interscale think, hey, yeah. we we've got to do this 
we're not just yeah, yeah we, absolutely and, and sorry to sorry to talk over you but that, no. this is a tool this is a tool for mentors you know it's what i was saying before a senior mainframe doesn't have time to take on half a dozen mentees and train them from scratch they don't have the time but if a senior mainframer says here um do this jcl course this online stuff come back and see me in two months when you've finished it and <laughs> uh, and we'll go through it you know and and set a a, a one hour or a half hour um, meeting with this person in in a month's time or two months time depending on how much training it is and set it and forget it and in two months time this person's connected with you again either in person or, or you know via a zoom call or a video call of some sort and the the mentor can pull up the results of that course and see what areas they did as i said before and, and what areas they had trouble with and what areas they did well in and then either set them some more courses to do or say okay i see you had trouble with this let me explain that to you um, and so on and then once that's covered it's like okay now do this course and come back and see me in a month or two months and we'll go through that and so the the e-learning is doing the training and the heavy lifting the mentor is using their time wisely because they're very busy people uh, and they're providing the, you know, again, the context, the backstory, the wisdom, the problem solving, um, the, the um, you know, go and, go and talk to Bob, go and talk to Mary, go and talk to whoever. Um, they can help you with this. But that's what, a, that's what a mentor is with all the experience and knowledge and connections because that's part of mentoring as well. It's not just technical teaching. It's who to introduce the person to, um, to introduce them to colleagues that they'll be able to rely on for the rest of their careers. And, right. and make friends and and that sort of stuff. So the the e learning again is a is a tool. It's a shovel. It's a you know a, um, a pick. It's it's something that does the heavy lifting or does the work, so that the mentor who is the artist <laughs> can do the the final uh, polishing and carving and and produce that that perfect young mainframe. Um, it's uh, it's important to optimize the time of these senior mainframes, and a lot of a lot of mid level mainframers, you know, people mid career. I shouldn't say mid level. A lot of mid career mainframers find themselves just naturally gravitating to uh, to a mentoring role um, with social media and and with other stuff as well, because they just they want to tell their story and they want to help out and they want to be part of the community. The uh, the IBM Champions program is uh, something I'll drop a drop a plug in here. Um, that's just a fantastic organization or, or, or um, program that IBM does. Um, getting uh, advocates for, for IBM, um, specifically there's 70 or 80 globally that are mainframe, IBM Z, IBM champions, and they just uh, they speak, they mentor, they help out, they, they write articles, they do all that sort of stuff. It's just part of them and, and they love this, uh, this industry. They love the mainframe so much they want to do more and... Uh, and they sort of gravitate towards mentoring either personally or on mass. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I left it there. No, I'm sorry, <laughs> to be to be perfectly honest, I'm I'm sitting here thinking, uh, um, how can I uh, start talking about IBM Digital Credentials because that's a that's a real driver. But I couldn't think of a nice little segue to get into it. <laughs> so there was there was a nice pause. Hopefully, you can edit that out. <laughs> but that's um, the credentials of. We've seen, um, you know, Interskill personally, we, we used to deliver about a quarter million hours of mainframe training annually, which is just massive in itself, 260,000 hours of mainframe training globally annually, um, which we thought was just hitting the heights. Um, IBM six, seven years ago brought in the digital 
credentialing, the IBM badge program. Um, and we wrapped our product around it because we could really see that it's the you know big part of the future of education. Um, we delivered 960,000 hours of mainframe training last year. And, and a lot of that, you know, obviously awesome training, but a lot of that, and, and Jeff will speak to this as well mm-hmm. um, with his courseware, digital credentialing drives training. It makes people want to train. It makes people want to consume more training and learn about more things and, and become more motivated and more engaged and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Even, even more happy. And, you know, it solves the problem of uh, the great resignation with people leaving when digital credentialing showed in so many studies that people uh, that are given copious training to do their jobs properly and copious training to have a, a path to promotion or to move across into another job they love more uh, and are being recognized through things like credentialing and so forth, they're, they're, I think it's two times, twice as likely to stay with an organization. So can you imagine halving your uh, your loss of mainframe personnel just by doing something like that, keeping all of your key people there at your organization rather than having them walk out the door? I mean, all, I know so many that, benefits. all I know is that half of my emails that I get these days are from people who are angry because for some reason or another, they didn't get their badge. <laughs> so, so I know that it's a, it's a huge driver and, and people are like, I, I want to get like another badge. that's like kind of in this area with this level, you know, we go badge shopping and recommending badges and that kind of thing. And, and the, the other thing I, where I really saw this um, in, in, in action the other day, um, uh, somebody sent me their, their resume and they're like, you know, I need some, I need some help, you know, making this look good. And it was kind of written the way of like an old style resume where it's like, I am proficient in this. I have oh, the yeah. following skills in this area, blah, blah, blah. And I said, don't you have badges in here? Seriously. Like you could save so much room because you know, you're, <laughs> you're trying to, you know, make, first off, you know, you're, yeah. let's just say you're trying to make your resume look good, have a good layout to it. If you have a section that just lists the badges that you have, then you don't have to find a, li- a know, LinkedIn profile and, yeah. and and a <laughs> bunch of badges is the new resume, and that's right. Going and, and a GitHub page, like you don't you there. don't have to find another way of saying I have strong skills in. Yeah. It isn't saying I have strong skills. It just lists the badges you have. That's that's what my brain is scanning for anyway. <laughs> so yeah, it's 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 absolutely like those are the the accreditations that people should be going for. And also keep in mind, I can tell if you spent six seconds on your quizzes. Uh, <laughs> well, that's still, the thing. Yeah. The metadata and the badges lets anyone can click on a badge online you know again LinkedIn or Twitter or wherever but LinkedIn typically you can click on a badge and go in and see exactly what they uh, what they learned and when they learned it and yep. what it covered and burrow 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 down into the thing and and find out to to a granular detail and of, of what they learned rather than just a, I passed a JCL course well what what was that and what did it cover and who taught it um, the badge shows it all Right. And the way that Credly does that, because um, Credly's who handles our badges right now, yeah. is every badge has like an owner page. And you literally yep. can follow up through that owner page and be like, hey, we have someone who says they have this. Tell me more about what they should know. And that person should be able yep. to tell you more about what that skill is. So it, it really is. It's not something somebody can just make up. <laughs> um, so, it, you know, it, it, it really, you know, I think Frank and I kind of had the same reaction when they first came out with badges like, 
Great. Fantastic. <laughs> you know, another thing, another thing, another get. thing, you know, cause people, some people, you know, get them like merit or like a, uh, like merit badges, you know, all across their sash yep. here. Um, <laughs> you know, let me litter the bottom of my email, but it, it, when you, when you use it, you know, uh, for, for good, um, it, it does have fantastic <laughs> results. Use your, use your powers for good, not evil. Yes. 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 Yeah. They're, they're, and, and, on the other side of badges as well, you know, corporations can, if they're looking to hire somebody that's a system programmer and they need skills on, you know, this list of 10 things, they can run through and see all of the people that have earned all 10 badges on on those topics. Yeah, why would you not start And, and suddenly you've got a list of the people that you need to reach out to internally that have all the skills backed by IBM saying they've got the skills um, for for this job role, so you've you've got a pick list of people you can hire that are already qualified. You know that because they've earned credentials. So it's it's a, as a recruiting tool. Um, um, Ginny Rometty was talking quite a bit um, some years back about uh, new collar jobs and skills based hiring, and that's again where digital credentials tie in as well. Um, the need for a lot of jobs in in IT specifically, but uh, uh, generally, but but mainframe um, specifically, the, the the need for a four year IT degree is probably not always there. You know, there's a lot of IT jobs where you probably don't need a four year degree, but if you've trained up on the skills that you need to be a programmer of this or or a systems person on that and so forth, um, and again, the badges will show that. Um, if you've got all those skills, you can walk straight into the job and be productive and and continue your internal training. So skills based hiring is becoming more and more prevalent um, for uh, for companies to to find the find the talent that they need. Is that your phone? Yeah, what? it is my phone. Sorry about that. Oh, okay. So see, he was trying to blame me. He was no, trying to blame me. Yeah, for those I, listening I turned, at home, I all those bleeps off I have. Bleeps <laughs> hearing. That's all. That's all, Frank. My apologies. <laughs> It's all good. It's all good. So um, we, we've been on here now for, for quite some time. We're coming up on um, on the top of the hour. So kind of the side of the hour. Yeah, because you know we we started at the bottom, but now we're coming back now to the bottom. Here. I don't know. So um, that's Frank again. <laughs> so um, what do you see? Um, changing in the future for education is is there is it more the same or is there is there something new on the horizon yeah i think as far as training goes there's there's still going to be those same modalities of delivery i i think classroom training is is always going to be important the the changes in the um the fact that mainframers aren't always sitting in an office anymore. You know what I mean? There's a lot of people working remotely now or hybrid working partially remotely. So, um, so even some of the classroom instructor led classes are delivered virtually, you know, virtual instructor led, um, zoom calls and, and video calls and so forth are, are used heavily. Um, so I, I think wrapping education, delivering education, you know, around a, a remote workforce. Um, also, companies are, are now hiring, c- companies used to have to hire people within you know, 20 miles of their data center in the mainframe aspect or, or just 
you know, 20, within 20 miles of their corporate office so that people could commute into work or, or you'd have to relocate them. Um, so you were sort of limited by what talent was around that area. Um, these days you can have, especially in IT, you can have a workforce from the, I've always, always laughed at this, the four corners of the globe, considering it's a globe mm-hmm. that doesn't have corners, but um, <laughs> the, you know, all around the world, you can have personnel from, from everywhere, um, you know, We've got we do our development in Australia. We've got personnel in in Europe and Australia and, and the US and so forth. So you can have people everywhere, and you can hire them based on skills. It helps you get a really talented uh, talented workforce. Um, so that has again necessitated the the ability to deliver training to people wherever they are and whatever time zone they're in and so forth. Um, I think uh, some of the big changes that I'm seeing are not so much the modalities. As the culture that comes in around the training, you know, that, that learning culture. So instead of managers pushing people to train, I think they're setting up a culture where there's an enormous array of training available. There's digital credentialing to motivate people to want to go and do the training. And then training becomes cool. Training becomes what people see as, uh, you know, years ago people would, do their degree and think that they knew what they needed to know for the next 10, 20 years. Hmm. Um, the half-life of, of a skill uh, is another thing you can read up on. You know, years ago, you'd learn a skill, you'd learn how to program COBOL and you'd be good for 10 years. You could can keep doing things the same way. These days, uh, the half-life of a technical skill, the amount of time that it's still productive for you is is a year, a year and a half, 18 months, maybe maybe less than a year. So people are needing to update their skills all the time and or um, add extra skills and broaden their skills and so forth the way the industry is changing. So so I think that the big change I see for corporations training their workforce, which is what it all comes down to, making them optimally productive and, and optimally skilled, um, is creating that culture where people will go out and seek the training they want. So whether they're making themselves super skilled at the job they're in or Frank, as you said before, they, they're a, a computer operator and they think I really want to be a system programmer. So I'm going to go out and find a bunch of courses on system programming and find myself a mentor that can teach me stuff so that next time a sysprog job comes up, I can I can apply and be the perfect candidate for it. Um, so there's, there's a lot more of uh, the culture of continuous, you know, lifelong learning is the phrase that you want to look up. Um, that that continuous education, that continuous improvement, and so forth, and you have to, you know, that that is essential for anyone's career these days. If you uh, if you stop, you're like a shark, you know, you st- you stop, yep. you die in your careers. Right. You really need to keep learning and keep adding to to your skills and broadening your skills, and you know what, finding something else that you're more passionate about, and ch- and changing careers. Um, midway through and, and going and doing something that's incredible. I, that's why I'm, I'm so excited that uh, quantum computing is becoming so closely aligned with with Z. Um, I, I think, wow, what a, what a cool little segue in your career to go from Z across to quantum if you could start picking up those skills and learning to program and so forth. Um, so the, the possibilities are endless and, and I do I do ramble on. Hey, this is Jeff. I'm editing together the podcast. And right about here in the recording is where, for some reason, we lost the network connection between Darren and Frank and I in the studio. But we all kind of agreed that we were close enough to the end of it that it didn't really warrant re-recording anything, as long as I recorded something at the end that said, make sure you visit interskill.com. That's 
www.interskill.com. You can also go to learn.ibm.com to see some of my stuff. And just make sure you follow Darren on the LinkedIn and on the Twitter because he posts some really insightful and helpful stuff. Uh, Also, just one of the coolest guys. Definitely a top-tier Terminal Talk listener and now guest. So with that, old man Charlie, take us out. You've been listening to Terminal Talk with Frank and Jeff. For questions or comments, or if you have a topic you'd like to see covered on a future episode, direct all correspondence to contact at TerminalTalk.net. That's contact at TerminalTalk.net. Until the next time, I'm Charlie Lawrence, signing off.